Good morning. This is China Takes Over the World. I am Ying Ma. There has been a great deal of interest in recent years in China's growing presence in Latin America. This morning, we are delighted to have with us Professor Kevin Gallagher of Boston University to discuss China's economic ties with the region. Professor Gallagher is the co-director of the Global Economic Governance Initiative at the Frederick S. Pardee Center for the Study of the Longer Range Future at BU. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Good morning.、Uh, good morning. And as we all know, China's economy has slowed and is no longer in the territory of double-digit annual GDP growth. This has obviously affected countries whose economies have flourished on rising Chinese demand of、uh, a whole slew of products over the years. What impact has this had on countries in Latin America? Well, they used to say that when the United States had a cold, Latin America got the flu. But now they're starting to say it about China. Uh, the, as you noted, the surge in demand from China during its industrialization、uh, blitz in the 2000s just demanded lots of steel, copper, soybeans, lots of things that Latin Americans had, particularly South Americans. And now, as that demand has started to slow,、uh, lots of countries—Brazil, Peru, Chile—are asking themselves,、uh, did they prepare for the slowdown as well as they should have? Well,、uh, commodity prices have also fallen, if I'm, I'm not mistaken, right? And and so, and commodities is、uh, is something that Latin America has exported quite a bit to China.、Uh, was there some reason why Latin American countries did not try to diversify their exports during the years of high flying Chinese growth? Did they just think that the good times would never end? Yeah, China has, in many ways, been a double boom for Latin America because a China just demanded a lot of commodities from South America, but because the America, because China was demanding so many of these commodities in general,、uh, it was raising the price because it was making、uh, iron ore, soybeans, etc., more scarce. So now the demand's gone down and the prices have gone down, and Latin Americans are really scratching their heads.、Uh, many of them had an attitude that.、Uh, Oh, China was going to grow forever, and these commodity prices were going to be high forever. People refer that to as "quote unquote." This time is different syndrome, meaning whenever there's a boom, people forget about the last bust, and it's been、uh, it's been quite concerning.、Um, a couple countries have a, some interesting policies in place.、Uh, hopefully, they can see the writing in the wall and、uh, try to. Broaden these policies and get them、uh, get them more in lockstep. Right. There's been、um, a lot of talk about the unbalanced nature of the China Latin America trade relationship. While most of Latin America's exports to China are primary goods, a majority of China's exports to Latin America are manufactured goods.、Uh, are Latin American countries bitter about this imbalance in their trade relationship with China? In the first years, it was sort of a honeymoon.、Uh, the Latin Americans were just so excited、um, that there was a new growth pole in China, a new place to sell their exports to. Especially after the financial crisis, when the United States and Europe、uh, were not as lucrative of a market for Latin American goods. But now that、uh, Chinese demand is slowing and the trade balance is so accentuated, as you say, commodities leaving Latin America. Manufacturing coming in, Latin Americans are getting a little concerned. They're worried that they might go back to the 19th century.、Uh, they spent 
most of the 20th century trying to move away from being just commodities exporters. And in some countries like Brazil, Argentina, Mexico, they're able to diversify the economy a little bit. But now uh, some studies that we've done have shown that about 90% of Latin American manufacturers' exports are having trouble competing with uh, with their Chinese counterparts. And uh, that spells real trouble for longer-run growth and employment. Sure, sure. But is there any uh, palpable bitterness that this is China's fault? So, for instance, in the U.S., there are a lot of people who accuse China of intellectual property theft. They feel that China's uh, trade imbalance with the U.S. results largely from China kind of cheating the system. Uh, Obviously, the trade uh, relationship with Latin America that China has is is very different. But But do you sense that Latin Americans blame themselves for, for blame themselves for not having been more prepared for a china slowdown or do they kind of feel that china has uh, done something that's unseemly or even unfair it depends on the country and it depends on who you ask in those countries but where there is a uh, a sharp and and perhaps growing um uh, concern or China bashing even are, are in places where there's already established manufacturing, say in Brazil and Mexico. In Brazil and Mexico, a lot of the domestic manufacturing firms haven't been able to compete. To a certain extent, that is very much uh, a function of Chinese uh, uh, growing prowess in these industries. And there has been a, a lot of uh, pointing the finger at China, both Brazil and Mexico have filed a lot of anti-dumping cases against China in the World Trade Organization. And uh, and sometimes even when it doesn't have anything to do with China, China is often pointed to as the, as the culprit for what a lot of Latin Americans are starting to worry about, the concept of deindustrialization, the sort of the hollowing out of their manufacturing and employment base being replaced by commodities exports. Right, and it would not be the first time that other countries have made that accusation against China. Well, you recently co-wrote a, an interesting report titled The New Banks in Town, Chinese Finance in Latin America. And the report tells us that since 2005, China has loaned $75 billion to Latin American countries. And in 2010, it loaned more than the World Bank, IDB, and USSM Bank combined. Um, is China displacing these other de- development banks, and does rising Chinese influence and in financing mean less influence for these other institutions? Yeah, uh, not only is the China-Latin America economic relationship uh, strong in trade, but as we've discovered in this report, Chinese finance is uh, increasingly becoming an incredibly large source of finance for Latin American countries. We actually updated that study, and now it's an interactive database called the China Latin America Finance Database, and we updated it through 2013 and found that now, since 2005, China has lent uh, over $100 billion to Latin American countries. in some countries, what we find is, it, in a lot of ways, it, it complements some of the existing investment from, say, the World Bank. The World Bank and the Exim Bank, they're funding health care programs, education programs, microcredit, um, lots and lots of loans, but lots of small ones. Whereas the Chinese have a completely different model. They're in there with multi-billion dollar, 15-year major infrastructure, major energy 
projects. And so the the banks, the traditional international banks have gotten out of that too much long-term, too much risk, um, and lots of backlash sometimes from indigenous groups and environmental activists about the environmental impacts of those. And so China sort of filled this gap uh, and really has moved into energy infrastructure and mining in Latin America. And in the case of Ecuador, they actually just helped Ecuador pay the bills. Ecuador defaulted on its loans in the in 2007, 2008, and hasn't has been really shunned from international capital markets. And China is in there, uh, basically just financing their annual fiscal budget. What does China do to minimize the risk for itself when it lends to borrowers like that? Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting is they have uh, an interesting hedging scheme, uh, which we refer to as commodity-backed finance. So they've done their homework on Latin American financial crises in default, and just to make sure they're at least going to get a significant portion of their financing back, they usually secure it in oil. Uh, For instance, in Ecuador, they will loan uh, in U.S. dollars, but they will have a certain percentage of the monthly payments be in uh, a certain number of you know, hundreds of thousands of barrels of oil uh, each day. So not only does it help them hedge the finance, but it helps them secure oil supplies. This has been controversial in the region um, because sometimes uh, sometimes the Chinese are reselling the oil in, in global markets. Uh, the Chinese do this all over the world. I'm doing a study with a woman who studies China and Africa. Uh, all of the loans that are secured uh, with commodities in Latin America secured with oil. But in Africa, you find it with cocoa beans, with tobacco, with gold, with diamonds, uh, as well as with oil. Mm-hmm. And so if these countries were to default, what would happen? Well, that's that's the uh, multi-billion dollar question. Because some of these other countries that China lends to, it's not just Ecuador that has, you know, low sovereign debt ratings. There's, uh, there, there are various others as well. Absolutely. So, the, the three biggest uh, recipients of, of Chinese finance in Latin America are Venezuela, Argentina, and Ecuador. And all three of those countries have uh, very low bond ratings and have difficulties accessing finance in the world. And they're referred to as uh, serial defaulters because they've defaulted so many times in the past. And and uh, if you're following the global economic news right now, there's a real risk of Argentina defaulting on its debt in, a, uh, in the next few months. And, and so far, uh, since 2005, China's lent, you know, close to $200 billion to countries around the world, and no one has defaulted yet. Uh, just because of the number of them, someone will, and it'll be interesting to see what China's response is. Uh, in the conventional global capital market system, if you default, um, A, no one will lend you any money, and B, uh, the nature of the contracts um, allow you to try to recoup uh, some, of the, some of the money. We have this Argentina story that has been all over the news in the U.S. Uh, has shown that you know ten years later, some investors uh, went almost went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to recapture their money from Argentina. But uh, it remains to be seen how China will react. But do you think that these countries are less likely or less willing to take that risk with China because then the Chinese government would get quite angry? 
Well, yes, because on one level, yes, because they the, these are loans that are from government entities, and uh, a lot more is at stake than than uh, than just. Uh, aggravating or lessening your ability to get financing in in the private marketplace um, but uh, here you're also dealing with a with a government um, on the one hand these countries might not have as much uh, difficulty paying back because they're not only having to generate revenue to be able to pay the loans back uh, they also have the uh, the oil um, although the Argentina loans are not secured in, in oil, much of the Venezuela loans and almost all of the Ecuadorian loans are secured in oil. So there you have commodities to be able to foot the bill if you uh, all of a sudden can't come up with the, with the cold cash. But if a situation like Argentina, which has uh, double-digit billions in financing from China, if they default, uh, we'll have to see see what happens. It's it's hard to say how China will react. On the one hand, uh, they are really trying to exhibit a good neighbor policy across the world, but on the other hand, um, they also treat all these things in a very businesslike manner. Well, um, well, it would be interesting to watch. Well, we've been speaking with Professor Kevin Gallagher of Boston University. Kevin, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Please send us your comments at facebook.com slash China Takes Over or on Twitter at Rising China. This is China Takes Over the World, and I am Ying Ma. Good morning. This is China Takes Over the World, and I am Ying Ma. In the past 15 years, China has become a hugely important player in Latin America. According to a study conducted by the United Nations, China will surpass Europe as Latin America's second largest trading partner in 2016. While the United States remains the largest trading partner for the region as a whole, China is now the largest trading partner for Brazil, Chile, and Peru, and the second largest trading partner for Mexico. To continue our conversation about China's presence in Latin America, we now welcome Margaret Myers, director of the China and Latin America program at the Inter-American Dialogue. Margaret, great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Despite the robust trade between China and Latin America, the latter has become concerned about being trapped as a low-value-added raw material supplier to the former. Have we begun to see a backlash or even protectionist policies against China in Latin American countries? Yeah, this is especially of concern among uh, countries in South America that are major commodities exporters. So here you see Brazil, uh, Mexico um, is not in South America, but it's also a, has a very strong industrial sector and has been, you know, impacted um, in particular by uh, by competition with with Chinese manufacturing. In South America, uh, major commodities exporters um, have complained or worried about being sort of trapped in, in what some have called a, a process of primerization, um, or others have called a, a sort of resource trap, um, wherein you, you really do see a lack of diversification and a, a decrease in diversification of, of exports over time. Um, and the vast majority at this point of, of uh, primary commodity exports are actually going to, to China and most all of the countries down in South America. So there is absolutely considerable concern about this process and, and what it means for long-term growth. What are some region. of the policies? Are there some policies that have um, taken effect uh, specifically targeted against uh, this type of trade with China? 
Absolutely. And you see this most specifically in, in the case of Brazil. That's probably the case that's been studied uh, most often. Um, only, uh, I guess it was just over a year ago, uh, there was a policy implemented essentially targeting Chinese car exporters. Chinese cars have become very popular in Brazil. They're, they're very inexpensive and uh, were in many ways competing with, with Brazilian um, vehicles and other vehicles. And so a tax was placed on, on imports of of all cars, but uh, Chinese cars were, were perceived to have been targeted by that policy in particular. You also see this in the agricultural sector. Uh, there was a sense in uh, Brazil, which exports a, a considerable quantity of, of soy in particular to China, that China was interested in buying large swaths of land um, throughout uh, Brazil and in states like Bahia and others. And in reaction to that, the um, Brazilian legislature reinterpreted the the land law to restrict foreign purchase of land. And although this affects all foreign uh, companies, it was really seen as targeting Chinese investments in particular. Well, obviously, China's trading relationship with Latin America varies from country to country. For instance, China and Mexico are rivals when it comes to exporting to the U.S. How is this competition uh, shaping up now that wages in China are rising? Yeah, that's certainly a consideration. We do see wages uh, rising in China and just uh, essentially an interest in, in moving beyond sort of uh, labor-intensive, low-cost manufacturing in China. And so they're trying to get away from that that sort of, um, that form of development in any case. But, uh, yeah, that the extent to which we see sort of an influx of manufacturing in Mexico as a result of that it kind of remains to be seen. And there are many anecdotes about, you know, uh, companies returning to Guadalajara, for example, to to invest when they had previously been in Mexico and some other cities are listed as, as seeing this happening. But um, there's no real data on that at the moment. And for Mexico, it's really a matter um, of dealing with some some developmental and, and sort of investment-related challenges that have been prohibitive, you know, for, for many years now, even before China's rapid rise, um, in order to attract the sort of investment that, that Mexico needs to, to sustain long-term growth. That, that's, that's more of a sort of domestic policy consideration. Sure. What are some of the things that China has agreed to do to rebalance its rating, trading relationship with Latin America? Yeah, I think that China does realize that there is, you know, considerable imbalance, as you mentioned, um, that China's exporting primarily manufactured goods and in importing uh, primary commodities, uh, raw materials. But, um, you know, on the one hand, you hear uh, Chinese business people saying that this is a relationship that's based on complementarity, you know, and that's the fundamental uh, consideration, and that's not something that's really going to change overnight. On the other, you have you know people like uh, former Premier Wen Jiabao saying uh, saying at ECLAC just a couple of years ago that you know the Chinese government is very committed to diversifying uh, trade relationships across the region and also diversifying foreign direct investment um, into sectors that are more value added, including you know um, services and uh, manufacturing sectors, investing more in research and development, and so on. So. There is, you know, a, a supposed commitment to this, and we have seen some examples of, of value-added investment in countries like Brazil. There have been research and development centers set up there. 
um, also some promised in Costa Rica and, and other places. Um, so there, there is a process, but it's a slow one, and, and the relationship really is based on this fundamental, you know, demand and demand considerations and complementarity. Right, and and when the Chinese side makes these commitments to diversify the trading relationship, do they usually mean they'll push their state-owned enterprises to go in a specific direction? Um, as you say, if if the relationship is based on complementary, how are they going to force private sector companies to to right. be, to become more interested sure. in areas that maybe they're not so interested in um, otherwise? That's a that's a really excellent question and uh, something that you know we've been looking at. Um, small and medium sized enterprises certainly are going to go where the market takes them, uh, and that's been the case in all sectors uh, and you know outside of of, cent- of South America and Central America as well. But um, the larger there have been cases where larger state owned enterprises have operated at the will of the state, you know, for, either for diplomatic reasons or because. Uh, top-level official has promised something in the way of cooperation, um, and I think there that could very well happen. I mean, I think in addition to SOEs, China often uses its policy banks, for example, China Development Bank or China Exim Bank, to um, to invest in projects that probably aren't going to have much in the way of a return, but that make China um, improve China's image in that specific country and really solidify bilateral relationships. We are speaking with Margaret Myers of the Inter-American Dialogue. What do you think are are China's core strategic interests in Latin America? I'm under the impression, and there are those who disagree with me, that that China's core strategic interests are are really based on on sort of this trade trade relationship um, uh, and the principles set out by the by the going out strategy, and that's been around for a very long time and is often cited, but it very much holds true. Um, and these include things like, you know, access to raw materials, which are obviously needed for a variety of reasons in, in China, um, the, also internationalization of, of firms, China's major um, uh, and strategic industries uh, that are going out and, and seeking experience and seeking interaction and, and joint ventures with companies that have been operating in different regions for, for upwards of centuries, right? And so they gain a lot of experience uh, that way. Now there's an interest also in um, engaging with Latin America and other regions for the purpose of sort of uh, internationalizing China's financial system to include renminbi internationalization. Um, and then beyond that, there is, there is, of course, a diplomatic or political component. Uh, China does try to create strong relationships with um, the governments of other countries in an effort to garner support for its own sort of international objectives in um, international organizations, for example, the World Trade Organization or the U.S. And then, to the extent that it's still a consideration, the uh, Taiwan issue is is an important one in Latin America. There are 12 countries that still recognize Taiwan, um, and that's really the only sort of political strategic relationship that I see as being extremely important still in, in, in the region. I don't think there's an attempt to, you know, sort of counter U.S. influence or anything along those lines, despite... Uh, you know, uh, assertions by by plenty of analysts that that is in fact the case. Do Do you think the U.S. government sees China's rapidly increasing presence in Latin America as a threat to American interests? 
I, I think it depends on what part of the U.S. government you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, certainly, the State Department, I think, doesn't does not see it uh, that way, and has not focused really in any way on that on that side of the of the equation. There, um, there's a actually a strategic dialogue that goes on between the U.S. and China on Latin America, and this is part of the broader uh, security and economic dialogue. I'm sorry, strategic and economic dialogue that takes place on an annual basis between the U.S. and China. And there they talk about what, you know, what each country is doing in Latin America, how there might be some synergy between those two two efforts, and, and that's been an increasingly productive uh, dialogue over, over the years. Um, I think if you some of the other institutions that are more focused on on security within the U.S. government certainly would tend to look at uh, China's involvement in the region through through a security lens or a, you know a defense related lens. Um, so perhaps but, DO, the, the Department of Defense and another. yeah, I think that, that that would be fair to say simply because that is the the job of of that department. Um, but I, I don't know that there's a, a really a, a perceived. Um, or imminent threat by any means. It's just a matter of keeping an eye on on, on what's um, happening. Sure. And right now the relationship is such an economic relationship that there's very little to go on. There's been a lot of complaint from African countries that um, the Chinese have become their new colonialists in a way. Uh, obviously the mm-hmm. economies in Latin America tend to be more mature, and a number of them operate under vibrant democracies. Uh, but given that China is accused of enca- engaging in a resource grab in on both continents, uh, do you think its interactions with Latin America are very different from those with Africa? Have government regulations or the political systems in Latin America put up sharp restraints on aspects of Chinese business or economic practices that um, are prevalent in Africa and are considered quite unsavory? I think certainly. And you have to go on a, it's, you know, Latin America is a very diverse place and you have sure. to go on a country by country basis um, when when talking about this. And so there's a wide range of, of outcomes. But I think generally speaking, in aggregate, the experience in Latin America has been uh, somewhat more positive than, than what, what we've seen in, in Africa in terms of um, you know, uh, corruption, uh, misuse of funds, uh, you see some environmental problems, you see perhaps uh, a violation of labor standards and some of these other things that, that have been talked about considerably for, to a considerable extent in the, in the media and elsewhere. Um, in Latin America, there is, generally speaking, a stronger, you know, civil society and stronger regulations in place to prevent um, a lot of this from happening. It doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. It also doesn't mean that China is the only, you know, uh, Chinese companies are the only ones um, engaging in egregious behavior <laughs> that we see from a lot of multinationals, you know, over the course of decades. Um, on In general, and there have been a few studies sort of comparing Chinese investments specifically in the mining sector with, with those of other multinationals. And it, the conclusion is that China tends to operate pretty much on par with with multinationals, and in, in some cases, is doing a better job of, for example, community engagement uh, in in Peru in the Toromocho project, and um, and has you know some of its own environmental regulations that are you know enforced by the various policy banks. They aren't up to the same quality as you'll find um, among, you know, other lenders like the IDB or the World Bank. 
but um, they are there and they tend to be sort of improving over time, although it is a kind of slow process. But I think there's a real distinction, as you mentioned, between um, Africa and, and, and Latin America, simply because there are stronger relations, stronger institutions, and a stronger civil society. Uh, well, the real outlier there is Venezuela, of course. Okay. Well, we've yeah. been uh, speaking with Margaret Myers, director of the China and Latin American program at the Inter-American Dialogue. Margaret, thank you very much. Thank you. To join the conversation, please find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash China Takes Over or on Twitter at Rising China. This is China Takes Over the World, and I am Ying Ma.